You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Aiden Murphy. Hi, thank you for having me today. So Aiden, tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? So professionally right now, I'm a tax analyst with a human capital management group, but I am aspiring to move on to bigger and better things and hopefully work at NASA. Uh, I'm currently studying at Pepperdine University to get my MBA, and I'm very interested in space and everything to do with it. Now, okay, so you said tax analysts. So what do you, what do we mean? Are we just monitoring people's tax incomes where certain things are placed? Like, how do you explain your job? So what I actually do is I work more with the businesses. So if you get a notice from California, where I'm at, then I would go in and I'd work with the agency and resolve it for you. So it's a lot of analytical work and a lot of work with taxes, but for business, not personal. You have to take a lot of math classes to do that, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of math. <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm not so good at math. So when it comes into taxes, the one thing I've always questioned is like, did you know there's a thing called a death tax? Oh, no. See, I didn't know that because I don't work with personal taxes. I'm learning something new every day. I literally am like, I look at like my pay stub when it comes in. I'm like, all right, I'm getting taxed uh, medical stuff. I don't even have medical insurance. I don't know where that's going. And then I'm looking at the thing and I start realizing like, I remember when I had somebody pass away, they were like, yeah, a lot of that stuff gets taxed. You know, if someone leaves you a certain amount of money, that a little piece goes to Uncle Sam, a little piece goes somewhere else. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on a sec. So we're getting taxed when we die too? It's true. What types of things do you try and do with your job towards the business aspect of it? So with the business aspect of it, I do work with our clients and help them in regards to you know, understanding what they need to provide to us and what they need to provide to the agency. So, however, I'm kind of just doing this temporarily to get myself through school so I can get to NASA. So, I've been doing a lot of stuff outside of work. What are you studying in school exactly? I'm currently pursuing my Master's of Business Administration. And how does this all factor up into wanting to become an astronaut? It seems like a big leap there. You're going from taxes to being in space. Oh, I completely understand. it. So what I'd like to do is when I finish my master's of business administration, I'd like to apply for the presidential management fellowship at NASA and get my foot in the door. So in the meantime, while I'm doing my MBA, I'm actually currently pursuing a second bachelor's in science and math. So I was previously a manager in my previous life at Disney World, which is why I went into business. And I think that getting my foot in the door through the Presidential Management Fellowship will be an excellent way for me to network and learn more about what I need to do. But as I said, I'm doing other things outside of even school to prepare myself. Like what types of things are you preparing yourself for? It seems like going into space is one of the most fascinating, but obviously one of the most dangerous things that a lot of people don't really ever get the chance to do. Yes. So what I'm doing is besides pursuing my second master's, I'm sorry my second bachelor's in a science. I just finished my scuba certification. A lot of the training that astronauts do is in a scuba environment because it's the closest that we can get to zero to gravity. My, yeah, to microgravity, exactly. So a lot of their training is done in that environment. That's also why when astronauts spend a lot of time out in outer space and when they come back down, they have to go into a decompression chamber because they, so they don't get the bends, basically. It's like the same thing when you go underwater. You spend so much time in a place where gravity doesn't affect your bones like it normally does on Earth. It has some major side effects. Yeah, absolutely. Because going in high altitude or in low altitude, so beneath the surface, it's different pressure on your body. So you have to do that decompression 
So exactly like you said, you can get the bends, which is basically a buildup of nitrogen in your system that can affect you and um, it can actually kill you. So it's really important to make sure you're doing that. So how, how did this all come about? Where did you get your fascination for wanting to be an astronaut or something? I know that's always a dream job that like your teacher will ask you, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's the superhero president and then there's someone that's like an astronaut, but it seems like life never ever folds out that way. You know, I never really thought that I would be pursuing this because I really thought that I wasn't good at math and that I couldn't do it. Um, like I told you, my dream job before I am where I am now is I wanted to be a manager at Disney World more than anything. And I worked for five years towards that dream and I achieved it. I became a manager at Disney World in 2016. And after having that job, I just realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I moved out to California to get my MBA. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was, you know, looking back into my past and like, what are things that I've been passionate about in my life? And one of the things that I thought of was, I used to live in Ohio. And there's a space museum there. It's called COSI. Columbus Institute of Science and I remember going there and seeing the space exhibit and just being absolutely fascinated and I mean it had everything in there there was like a simulation there was information on the space program and Apollo and everything and I just remember like being completely enthralled by it I was like why can't why can't I do that you know I mean look when I was a kid, I hated school so much, but I love the field trips we used to take. I mean, we used to go to the National History Museum. We used to go to Washington, D.C. It's a major benefit if you ever have the ability or chance to go to a museum, especially if it's by yourself or if it's on a field trip or something, whether you're going to go look at paleontology with dinosaurs. But I remember the one time I went into the Space Museum in Washington, D.C., and it was the most fascinating thing ever, the amount of materials that they had there that were worked on actual spaceships that were kind of sitting in there it's like you literally are touching something that went into outer space looking at all the types of um, drones or probes whatever that go out into onto other planets and gather resources and information that comes back and we use that for data to see if there's going to be another inhabitable place to live on um, these types of testing to see, hey, maybe one day we can land there. Maybe another day we can land there. I mean, since I was a kid, I had a fascination with just looking up at the stars and wondering what else was out there. And I remember there was this, uh, they had the simulator, the one, um, I guess it's supposed to simulate what it's like to be in outer space, mostly because you know how like when you're driving, like doing flight simulator or something, you can go up and down and side to side, but like, this thing went full gyro, like 360 to the point where you're upside down. I'm 12 years old and I'm with my 65-year-old grandmom and she gets in there with me and nobody warned her that like you can go all around in a circle like a gyro. So she's sitting there and we're flying around and I'm starting to notice like, hold on, if I go diagonal here, I can make us go diagonal. So I flip me and my grandma upside down and she's screaming her head off, screaming my full name, everything out loud, saying she's going to kick my ass when I get out of there. And I, I was having so much fun, but it was definitely a crazy experience, especially having that at a museum. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I, so w when it comes to just diving into more of the space, like all the training and stuff behind it, like if you're trying to become an astronaut, can you take me through the process of how you would even start that? And what are your types of like steps and training methods that you do? Yeah. So the first and most important thing is to have a bachelor's in some kind of science, which is, I don't have that yet. So I am working towards that. Um, the next thing that you would do is you go into an application process and you're applying, you know, against I think it was something like 48,000 people applied, and I think they took 13 for the last class, if I'm not mistaken. And then they go into extremely rigorous training. So they're doing things, as I mentioned before, with scuba underwater. They're doing uh, flight simulations. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever seen the movie First Man that just came out last year. That's a really good example of what they'd be doing is the flight simulations, just a little bit more modernized, of course. 
And then they're going to be doing some things such as going up into suborbital uh, Earth and coming down to get used to the flight and being in zero gravity. And then they're also going to be doing things like um, it's uh, you go into a container and you basically go into like a situation where it's like a, an emergency situation underwater and you have to be trained how to get out of that because the capsules drop down into the water. So th there's all kinds of so many different things that they're doing. Um, I actually had the opportunity to go to adult space camp this summer and I was able to do some of the training that they do with like the multi-axis trainer which is the you basically sit in the middle of it and it spins you three ways at the same time. Holy! So you had to do it for a minute and a half. I was this, really worried because this this is kind of the crazy. same. This is kind of the same thing um, when they talk about G-force training, right? Like the amount of pressure that you have to kind of deal with when you're um, going through astronaut training, just because to make sure you don't like pass out to see what level like is dangerous for your brain. Because I know a lot of astronauts, they're going through training, they pass everything. But when it gets to the G-force training, a lot of them can't handle it where they pass out or go unconscious. And that can cause serious health problems when getting launched right off the launch pad up into outer space. Yeah, exactly. So that multi-axis trainer is supposed to get you ready for that and kind of prepare you for that. I, they obviously, of course, do it much longer than a minute and a half, but a minute and a half even was a lot. And you kind of lose your orientation because you're spinning in so many different directions. Have you um have you tried the G-force training? Like, have you, like you said, for a minute and a half, have you went through the process of trying to handle all that power on your head? No, I wasn't able to do that because Adult Academy, it's only three days. It's a little bit less of an intensive training than they have for like the advanced version for kids. So we were only able to go on it for a little bit and try, but I haven't experienced the G-force training yet. I feel like there's so many things that go into being an astronaut and to have one thing hold you back, like you can't, you can't, your brain can't sustain being conscious um, when all that force gets applied to your head. And then you immediately are not able to become an astronaut anymore. You got to keep trying and trying and trying, but it's the, the health risk of it too. Like how much through a medical evaluation is it behind becoming an astronaut? It seems like there would be a lot. So the, actually the interesting thing about that is that you only need, from my understanding, is the level three flight certification. It's a medical certification you have to go get from a doctor who's like trained to do it. I actually went and got it. So I've already passed that physical that's required. So it just, it just seems it. I mean, they'll like. It seems like there would have to be a risky process of like making sure, like, you don't like, because, you know, certain people, like, when it comes to flying on airplanes, there are some people that have, like, can get blood clots in their legs if they're sitting too long. You know, certain things, like, with their, um, their blood, uh, can become, like, you know, very, very, like, hard for, I guess, it, for the blood cells to move through. I don't exactly know what that's called, but it seems like when you're going into outer space, you're dealing with something that your body has never, ever experienced before, something completely brand new. And it seems like, you know, if you're being, especially you can't be afraid of small spaces. Like if you're claustrophobic, just toss out being an astronaut out of your career. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, like it seems like there's so many things that your body's not prepared for when going into outer space that they would have to do a long list of medical evaluations, making sure that your heart is okay, making sure like your levels and your blood, your cholesterol, everything's okay to, you know, just reduce any blowback onto them. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they put you through a pretty intensive physical. So, I mean, my understanding is you only have to pass the pilot's flight three to even apply. But I'm sure once you actually get accepted that they will put you through a physical. Now, have you learned anything more about space just from this fascination of wanting to go into outer space? Yeah, um, actually, I learned... A lot about space through a podcast that I listen to. It's called Space Nuts. Honestly, that's how I learn mostly about space because it's easy for me to, you know, sit at my job. Because I do, you know, I work in eight to five. So I sit there and I do my job and I'm listening to that. And, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. 
because you know so it's really it's hard when you're kind of where I'm at you know like trying to change trajectory and learn a new skill and it all seems but when you're able to do stuff like that every day it makes it seem attainable in that you're on the right path so a lot of what I've learned has been through that and then I have taken I the most recent course I took was a geology course so I have been learning about science through that through just regular classwork now what are your hopes if you become an astronaut what are your hopes on what you want to do when you get to outer space is it the whole idea of just being known as an astronaut or is there some other mystery or something that you want to see out there you know the driving force for me is that i really want to contribute to the learning that we have as a human race it's not really about being famous or anything like that for me I'm really just interested in learning and being in school is like a passion of mine. I, I love to learn about everything. And so I think that this is something that I've always been interested in my whole life and that I can, you know, contribute to something bigger than myself. And I think that's what's the driving force behind it for me. And just learning things and seeing things that people have never seen before. You know, we're on our way back to the moon with Artemis. And from there, we're going to go on to Mars. So on the path I'm on, it's going to take me at least 10 years to even get ready. So we might be on our way to Mars by the time I'm ready. It's funny. You can hear so many astronauts say what they're going to do to outer space. They're going to be the first person to do something. If you could think of anything, what would be the first thing you would do like that nobody has ever done before? In my thought, I thought of I want to be the first guy that's an astronaut that takes a poop in outer space. And then I'm like, wait a minute. There's people probably spending months up there, and I know they're not just holding it in. So that one's tossed out for me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I want to be the first person to dance in space. I'm a competitive dancer, so I think that would be really cool. We're not talking about a quick little, like, sprinkler jig. We're talking about doing a full-on routine. Yeah, full-on routine in zero gravity. I bet I'm going to jump really high. I, I When I see on, like, movies when someone's, like, golfing on space or doing something like that, I'm trying to think, like, maybe I could be the first guy that brings a yo-yo into outer space and then tries to do, like, a bunch <laughs> of tricks or something. You know, I don't know if that's been done before. Now, I, I do have to ask this, though. It's a little bit of a random question. But a lot of people kind of bring up this thing, and I'm pretty sure you probably heard about it. And you might laugh when I say it. But the thing called the, what they call is a theory of the flat earth. And they say oh, that no. they yeah they say that it's on the basis of that there's never any pictures of the earth from a circular view or a panorama view they just have it from one side so it looks like it's flat and that's why it shows no edging what what are your thoughts on that well i am definitely <laughs> i just feel like first or someone that's an astronaut or someone that wants to become an astronaut, anybody that has any sense on wanting to know what the earth is like, I feel like, you know, you can easily kind of figure out that it's not flat, but when it comes to that idea, it does make me chuckle a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you just listen to science and math, nothing that we would, nothing that we're doing would work without the earth being circular. You wouldn't be able to fly from place to place. You wouldn't be able to have an orbit or things wouldn't be able to orbit around the earth. And they're definitely doing that. You know, we have satellites up there. It's just, it's kind of fascinating to me when people just kind of blatantly ignore science. You know, these there are people that study things for as long as you've been alive that are telling you this, but yet you think that you're smarter than somebody with a PhD. Well, a lot of those people that think they're smarter find a Wikipedia article or something that tells them that that person that does all that research is wrong. You know, like I told you earlier, I grew up in Ohio, so I have a lot of experience with people who are maybe not necessarily as educated. And, I, you know, I can understand when you just haven't been exposed and, like, this is the idea that you've been given, but even the information age... And if you just apply lo logical thinking, the earth could not possibly be flat. That wouldn't even make sense. 
I try and be as open-minded as possible, mostly because when it comes to space, there's a fascination out there, mostly because it's something that we know nothing about. Like we, we, we feel like we've got a good grasp on it, but we barely scratched the surface. I mean, we think we know everything about earth, but we barely know anything about the earth that we're on. We've lived here for so long and we still, there's still 70 something percent of the ocean that we have left to discover. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's just so much out there. And I, I think that, like you said before, living in an information age, this fascination with wanting to go into outer space to look for new life or look for somewhere that's always where I thought astronauts, in my opinion, were like, you know, the professors, the philosophers, because they're, they're going out into outer space, they're doing a dangerous mission, they're literally, you know, risking their lives. I mean, how many times do you hear that, like an accident happened where something like right off the launch pad explodes, you know, all that training, all that hard work going into outer space, like the whole hopes of really, it's like when you're flying in an airplane, you're clenching the seat, just hoping when takeoff is going to be okay. And you're just flying in the air. That's the same thing they're doing, except they're going through a severe, basically 10 times more like dramatic experience than just flying on an airplane. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. They're risking their lives to further our knowledge and understanding. And it's absolutely admirable. Now, when it comes to, we were talking about before, kind of the reason why you wanted to go into space. If there was something that you wanted to do, whether you were being one of the researchers on one of the space stations or whether you're doing the repairs or whether you were just up there enjoying the view, kind of like a ride-along trip, like, hey, pay a million bucks, we'll send you up in outer space. Which one would you find fascination with? I feel like for me, it would be trying to really discover more about the planet whatever, whether it was the moon that you wanted to go on to, even though that's not considered a planet, but whether it was just taking the time to step on new ground that not a lot of people have walked on before and trying to analyze every little bit about what this thing was and what it holds. Yeah, you know, honestly, I would agree with you. I think that for me, doing scientific research would be the most fascinating I was, I had the privilege of taking a science history class through Coursera, and I thought it was amazing because they gave us clips of all of the different uh, missions that had been done, and on the Apollo mission, there, oh goodness, I'm probably going to mix up my numbers, I think it was Apollo 17, where they dropped the, um, they dropped a hammer and a feather at the same time, and it fell to the to the ground, to the surface of the moon at the same time. And I just, I couldn't even imagine being in that person's position and doing that. And just, wow, you know, gravity doesn't work the same way here. And just experiencing that firsthand and like seeing all of these scientific discoveries happening in front of me and being the one to perform the experiments just sounds like incredibly exciting. I really want to see a documentary on the tasking process it takes for the astronauts when they come back down to try and recope with being back on Earth. You know, whether they're in space for an extensive period of time, like even from six months to a year, some people that are up there for so long, like it seems like when you come back on Earth, it's a very big adjustment, much like a person coming back from war, maybe not so much mentally, but a lot more physically. It seems like your bone loses density after six months and starts to adapt to the environment that it's been in. I mean, for the first day, you're basically like, oh, this is awesome. Like, ah, I can, I'm weightless. And, you know, you're having fun because you still know what the sense of gravity is. And then you're up there for so long, you lose that sense. So when you get back on Earth, it feels like you just need to be lying down all the time because your body can adjust. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point because you're right. Like after six months, you do start to lose bone density. You know, maybe you've heard people will gain inches when they're in space just because your spine isn't being, you know, held down by gravity. So I'm, I'm sure there is a readjustment period that they have to go through. Um, I'm thinking maybe I'll follow Christina Cook when she comes back down because she's been up there for so long. So I'm extremely curious because I think she's been up there probably in at least barely in the top 10 the amount of time people have spent up there at a a sequential order so i've seen a lot of interviews with astronauts and uh, you know the occasional documentary you watch on netflix or something um 
it seems like the biggest problem for them is not the trip or the training. It seems like the biggest problem for them is a lot of them are family people. So it seems like being gone for so long, there starts to be a emotional detachment that happens where they feel like they just want to go back home and see their family, even though they're experiencing something they've always wanted to experience. It ends up going stale because it feels like they're missing out on one of the biggest parts of their life. Yeah, I definitely can see where that's an issue. You know, I mean, I don't, I know they have in the International Space Station, they have email communication. And so I'm sure they can send videos back and forth, but of course it's not the same thing as being with your loved ones. Um, I literally just thought of a great technology advancement. If we could use VR for astronauts to be able to be with their families back home. That would be incredible. Go invent it. (laughs) Holy crap. Patent it up. Someone's probably going to steal it. Nah, whatever. It's gone. It's lost (laughs) in the ether. I said it on the internet, and you know what they say, the internet's forever. (laughs) So true. I feel like, though, there is way too much worry when it comes into my mind about like I'm the type of guy like when it comes onto a plane I'm kind of superstitious I'm like all right I gotta spin around three times or I gotta go talk to the pilots for five minutes before I can get on this airplane you know I it's just on the whole capability like it might crash it might crash it might crash it might it might explode it might explode. like that whole thought's coming to my head do you not have that worry it feels like there's so many like dangerous things that could happen like what happens if your spacesuit rips what happens if this stuff occurs like does none of that deter you a little bit from wanting to go into outer space you know of course that's something you have to think about that there are extreme risks involved with this and i mean people have died you know many people have died trying to go into space and i think for me the thought is like i would honestly rather die trying than to never even try at all. Because I feel like that's the failure, is to never even go after it. Even if I make it all the way and, you know, I've applied and I don't, e- I don't make it into the final cut, I would still feel it was worth it because it's important to try to pursue your dreams rather than just give in and not even go after it at all. What's one of the things you've learned about space and one of the thing, things either you've experienced or something that scares you or seemed like it was the most difficult for you. It feels like a lot of people, like um, I know people that are like firefighters and stuff that have to put on that equipment, they get used to it. And a lot of people that aren't used to that, it seems like that spacesuit looks a little bit fragile. And also it seems like it it looks like it might carry a lot of weight to it. It seems like it's easily been able to get ripped, but it's also very, very heavy, which makes it difficult. Well, I do know that they are currently working on advancements for the spacesuit. Have you seen any of the prototypes by SpaceX? No, I have not. Because they look much better. They're not as bulky. And like you said, they don't look like they could be as easily ripped. So I know they are working on that. Um, But yeah, of course, that's terrifying. Honestly, I think the thing for me is knowing that how long it's going to take. Like if if I until like I said, it'll take me about ten years to get ready. And if we're going to Mars, that there's a six month period where you're just in the shuttle. It's not like the moon where you know you're three days, you're up there, good to go. That six months in a shuttle scares me a little bit because it. I can imagine it being mind-numbing, being in the same tiny space. That's the thing that worries me. That reminds me of the movie Interstellar. That always, like, literally after I watched that movie, I was like, I, I was messed up in the mind for like a good two weeks afterwards. <laughs> I thought we lost Matthew McConaughey. I, I thought there was a bunch <laughs> of things that happened, but like it was when they were on the planet for an hour and it passed seven years, and they ended up being there for two hours, so they missed fourteen years back on Earth or back off the planet and when they get back to the space shuttle the one did the one dude didn't go into the hibernation thing he decided to stay awake so he aged so when he got back on everybody looked at him he had a graying beard and everything and they were like why didn't you sleep and he was like i just wanted to find a way to get you guys back and 
that's crazy to think because it seems like with every space travel movie whether you're going to mars there is that extended period of time like i can't even handle three hours in a car i got ibs like we gotta pull mm-hmm. over we gotta do something you know we gotta get some food i gotta get some pizza combos in me or something but it feels like you're spending six months traveling to a destination and you don't even know what's out there exactly that and honestly that is a little scary and I listened also to this podcast called The Habitat. I don't know if you've heard it, but they were basically putting people together to test them for this. So they put them in a habitat. It was for an entire year. And it was to be like simulating being on Mars. And even these people were having issues getting along. You know, and these are scientists and like brilliant minds and they're having just issues because you're with the same six people for six months in a tiny space I honestly I feel like that is going to be the hardest thing to overcome is getting along with other people for a prolonged period of time in a tiny space yeah you definitely have to I mean I think after a while you're stuck with your family for seven days inside the same house and nobody leaves somebody ends up reaching for a butter knife at some point (laughs) yeah when it comes to the types of technology that NASA or just the space program has developed in general, is there anything, anything that really stuck out in your head? Like, holy crap, I didn't even know we had something. Oh my like gosh, that. so many things. I This past year, I've learned so much. I've been watching a lot of the launches recently and just the advancements that we're trying to do, like the shuttle launch systems and all the things that Blue Horizon is doing with the little hopper. So cute. But gosh, I'm trying to think of like a specific thing that just really shocked me. You know, you know what I did learn? I know one. I know I'm sorry, one, go ahead. Well, I know one thing that got me was the fact that they have the visors that the astronauts mm-hmm. use. There's a little like, like same thing with the sunglasses down here. Like people have normal glasses that when they get, you know, they have the polarization when it comes out, it gets kind of like drops this blinder that comes down. Same thing with the astronauts, little mask or whatever. There's like a, a, a radiation shield or something that helps. Like it's that yellow thing. Yeah. Mostly like when they have it up, it's clear. Like you can see through it like a windshield, but then they drop that down when they get into outer space. It's one of the most badass things. I think when, you know, if you're an astronaut and you're just rocking that visor all day. Yeah. That, that is amazing. Um, you know what I was just thinking of was all of the things that have come out of technologies that we have now because of the space program. I think that's the thing that really shocked me. I specifically remember being shocked by handheld tools. That all came from our space program? Yeah, I didn't know that because basically, like you were saying, it's a new environment. You've never been there before. There are all these new challenges. They can't be doing stuff with wires coming off. They can't be, you know, trying to drill something and there's a wire hanging down. So we had to come up with new technologies. And these are things that benefit everyone. The phone I'm using to talk to you right now came out of the space program. Whoa. So it's all these benefits that we don't even think of. I think that's what honestly shocked me the most. You, you want to know something that actually might shock you a little bit more? <laughs> yeah. So there was a government program. I don't know if you've ever heard of it called Operation Paperclip. I haven't. So this is where um, around World War II, when we defeat the Nazis and everything, we actually split up all the Nazi scientists um, into three different, basically split them up between three kind of areas. So there was America that got their own Nazi scientists for their research program. There was Japanese that got their own. And then there was um, Russia that actually got their own scientists as well. Well, our space station, our, our space research, all that stuff, the little NASA spaceship, that little white jet that's usually on the front or space shuttle that's on the front of like t-shirts and stuff, that's all from Nazi ideas basically the leading person to our space program warner von braun yes it was the saturn V rocket he he was instrumental in creating that i had i see a lot of people don't think that a lot of people look at it and go oh that's american for sure i'm like no that's that's if that's that's German invention, and that's not only Germans. That's Nazi <laughs> invention. Like it's it's crazy to see like how far in the steps that it's taken for us to get somewhere. A lot of people say that's why we beat the space race. Was the reason why was because 
when we got our Nazi scientists or our German scientists, they were because that whole research department that we grabbed, they called it Operation Paperclip because they had folders with the type of documents and research facilities in which area they worked in with the research on their shirt, paperclip to them, hence Operation Paperclip. And America at the time, we're going through space race, so we're battling the Russians. And we decided, hey, guess what? Let's take all the ones for the space program so we can get to space first and we can win it. And that's what led us to get there a lot faster. Um, there's also this kind of theory, too, a little bit. Do you believe we landed on the moon when we said we landed on the moon? Uh, yes, I do. I feel like a little bit of it seemed like it was like a propaganda act. I mean, like I said, I, I try and be open-minded, so I try and look at that, and I also try and be like, yeah, we definitely landed on it as well, trying to not really pick a side. But it seems like when a lot of people say, like, the footage was fake, that was like, is it that far off that we would just toss out some fake footage to Russia so they would just stop doing the race altogether? Like, well, we lost, and then give up, and then we just hit there later? I mean, you know, I don't think it's impossible I really do believe that we landed on the moon with Apollo 11. Um, one of the, I was watching actually on Netflix, there's this show called Conspiracies. And one of them is about the moon landing. And I was watching and what I loved about it was they had the conspiracy. And then at the end, they had a scientist come in and explain everything. So he was explaining how, you know, it looks fake because it's so lit. But the surface of the moon is extremely reflective. Light doesn't balance off of it the same way that it does on Earth. So, you know, he was explaining all of these things that people were saying, oh, this and that, and oh, the flag is waving. And, you know, he was giving scientific explanations as to why that was happening. So that personally made me feel a lot more comfortable with it. But, and, you know, we were in a war. So I don't think it's impossible, but I do believe it. I don't think these people are going to lie. I definitely think there's, I think there's a part to both sides. I think I can see where the other people would think that it would be a conspiracy theory, and then I can see the scientific evidence behind it. I mean, one of the best albums ever created, you know, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Like the one of the fascinating things I think about, like going up into outer space. First of all, like when you're on the moon, there's literally one side of it that is completely like you can see everything. Like, oh look, I can see my feet in front of me. Then there's just a cutoff point where the rest of the half of the planet that is not covered in sunlight, nothing, is just completely black to the point like if you stepped in there, it's like stepping in the shadows like in a movie where someone just jumps out. It's literally like pitch black. You're like, I, I can't even tell what's over there. Yeah, it's crazy. Did you hear about uh, China just sent one of the first robots over there to the dark side of the moon earlier this year? Did it survive? Yeah, it's doing good so far. Oh, my goodness. I know we had that, uh, what, what was it, the Opportunity rover? Oh, Oppie, yeah. The one that shut yeah. off or something, and then somehow some dust particles or one of those dust tornadoes on Mars actually cleaned out its system or something and turned it back on? Um, so I don't think the Opportunity is back on. I haven't heard that. But what did happen was there was a dust storm, huge dust storm. And it covered the solar panels. But once the dust storms ended for the season, like you said, it did get blown off. But I think it was able to send its final transmission is what it was. Yeah, I know a lot of people made a bunch of memes, like uh, something like it kept sending uh, information to us till its very last breath or something and they started giving it like emotional sides like you see the mars rover crying i was like this is this is hitting me in a level i've i don't i don't know how to explain i felt like i lost a friend truly yeah he's like a little scientist little astronaut that was going out there trying to help mm -hmm. us out next thing you know something happens you know that's what's crazy i mean we can get matt damon off mars but we can't get the opportunity rover back off mars come on i know you know it lasted a lot longer than it was supposed to though and gave us a ton of insight what types of things um do you feel like we still have to learn about space oh my gosh what do we not need to learn about space <laughs> we have like i found it pretty pretty fascinating that they're that the, they just figured out there's now something called a white hole which is like the opposite of a black hole but completely white oh my gosh well we just saw the first image of a black hole this year so we're still learning 
now the first image of a black hole, but we always kind of knew what it looked like. What do you mean? Like we, we finally got cameras in there to take a picture of it? We finally were able to process it in a way that it was visible to us. Oh, I know we just created yeah. a color called Vanta Black. You ever heard of that? Yes, I have. Darkest Black. And it literally shows no edges or anything. So it's like one of those cartoon like black holes that they throw on a wall and you can jump through it. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. That's, I, I just find it so crazy that these types of things are just like, and it's, it's almost year 2020. Like we're just getting all this type of stuff happening now. You're like, what else are we going to uncover? You know? I know it's incredible. And, you know, even in the past 20 years, like life has changed so much, you know, not, not even 20 years. Cause I'm thinking of, you know, personal computers, but you know, now I have a personal computer more powerful than the computers that took us to the moon in my hand. So it's incredible what we could accomplish if we just put our minds to it. I definitely think a lot of more virtual reality stuff that's coming out, we see it, it be influenced into the medical industry. We see it be influenced through um, a lot of physical therapy treatments as well, helping people get over like losing a limb or something, be able to use virtual reality mm -hmm. goggles to help them kind of adjust back into that. I think a lot more adjustment and a lot more of its uses should also be funded towards our space program as well. It seems like we can do a lot if we can basically virtually scan the moon and then have somebody be able to experience it in training to see what it's like up there. Yeah, you know, that's actually a really good idea. I, I think the biggest challenge for us is that we can't really replicate micro, microgravity. So without being able to do that, it makes it really challenging to get an actual experience because, you know, VR is wonderful and you can feel like you're there, but without that challenge of microgravity, kind of like not having the I feel like there's a lot of more research too on just on the moon. It seems like we're moving off to something else and it seems like the moon, like we, we haven't really, really scratched the surface of it. You know what I mean? It, it, it still boggles my mind that I, I get that, you know, Hey, let's go check out Mars. Let's go check out something else now that we're able to travel farther and farther and take more long just distance journeys. But it's like, let's try and uncover more about the moon. It seems like there's still a key thing there, maybe like an element or something that we can pull out of there that could possibly help out earth in some way. Yeah. You know, I agree with that. And like, maybe not even necessarily like there's not going to be a mineral in the moon that we can use. I mean, maybe possibly, but I think like we were talking about earlier, the advancements that we made as a society by going through the process of going into space, there's going to be new challenges that we're going to have to rise to. We're going to have to create new things to meet these new challenges. And I think that's part of, I think that's honestly the biggest benefit out of the space program is, you know, making, having us make new technology that's useful here on earth too. Yeah, I see. I have this weird thought. At one point, you know, we pull out so much research from space, so much stuff that's beneficial that we start using it towards a lot of our own life here. You know, better development, like how you're talking about better tools as well. I mean, the amount of tools that are created by just our space program in general, just to be able to maintain and function up into outer space and be able to send research back is amazing. Whether it's our devices that we're using for drones or probes, or whether it's our devices that we're using just on maintenance, such as like the bungee cords that they use, the type of um, fabrics that they use just for the spacesuits in general. At one point in our history, our government tried to launch a nuke at the moon. Really? I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I don't, it's, it's called Project A119. And it was around the time we first developed like our nuclear weapons. And we started, we wanted to fire it off at the moon to show everybody else how kind of strong we were. Like, hey, you see what we can do? Don't mess with us. And then some random dude just pops in the back. He's like, guys, if we do that, it's going to mess up everything if we go into outer space. We're not going to know how to, what the gravity might shift. There might be something that could be created that could actually end up being an anomaly that's not supposed to be up there. You're going to cause radiation, these types of things that don't belong up there. You're going to mess up everything that we're going to do with our research program. And then they were like, should we do it? <laughs> All right, maybe that might mess up our research. We're going to wait. We're going to hold back. Well, thank goodness they didn't do that. <laughs> Because that sounds like a terrible idea. 
I see what one thing that got me as a kid too when I was learning a little bit about space. You know, when you get that basic uh, science, whatever science class or something, that's like, oh, here's the moon, here's Pluto. It's not a planet anymore. It's just made of ice. <laughs> and you're like, what? But Pluto is like my favorite Disney character. That's where you got oh. your fascination with space. <laughs> no, it's not. I swear. <laughs> yeah. See, the one thing, like you went to space camp. I, only space encounter or any type of space thing that I've ever experienced was when I went to the Wally or not Wally ride, uh, the ET ride up in Universal Studios. Um, so they had the oh yeah, they had the moon thing, and then when you're leaving, it's like all like lunar, all these types of like space type theme things. And I walk over and they give me this packet, and it's like a little like a food packet. I'm like, what is this? They're like, it's astronaut food. I'm like astronaut food what are astronauts they're not just eating the burger like there's nothing like i'm i'm about probably six or seven years old when they're doing this just eat it it tasted like a three musketeers made a marshmallow yeah the ice cream they're so good now is that real food that astronauts are eating i feel like they probably get like dried like meal packets like our military uses like dehydrated food see that's more accurate so, like, the really amazing thing about going to space camp, not only is it incredibly fun, it's incredibly educational, and they had all these packets out for us to see of what they're eating. They're trying to upgrade them, per se, but they basically are just in a tiny little foil container, and they're just dehydrated things that you would normally eat, like dehydrated meat or dehydrated vegetables, and you have to just rehydrate them when you're up there. I mean, is there anything exquisite? Like, are they getting, like, a dehydrated Hot Pocket or something? Not as exquisite as a Hot Pocket, but I think <laughs> some of the things that they were saying that they eat a lot, it's mostly, like, protein, like, a lot of meat that they're eating up there. Probably for their bones as well. It seems like they might need that and a little bit of vitamin D as well to keep them strong, too. Yeah. You know, and I think nowadays, especially with the people that are going up to the International Space Station, they can kind of, they can slide in a little request like, hey, can I get some mac and cheese? And I think that they can do it for them. We just created another idea. This podcast is filled with ideas. We should make a catering service for astronauts. I'm completely down. You know, I am a business major, so I think we could get this. (laughs) Like, you know about Uber Eats. What about an Uber Eats for astronauts where a dude has to get on a space shuttle? Like, what's he want? He wants a McDonald's cheeseburger. What does everybody else want? Like, somebody's going on a food run. Who's getting the Domino's pizza? Do they deliver in outer space? I don't know. They do now. Yeah, Pizza Hut. 30 minutes or less, bitch. Get up into outer space. Oh, my God. I'll I'll let you. We'll be up there. I'll have to let Elon know. Just like, hey, can we borrow your Falcon X really quick? Or can I go deliver <laughs> Oh, man. Throughout all your kind of research, like, what's one hope that you have for the future besides just going up into outer space? Like, what's one thing that you kind of are in hopes for that's kind of out there, whether it's aliens, whether it's something, or just something you want to not, – maybe not, like, so much as dancing on the moon or dancing in outer space, but <laughs> one thing you would possibly do when you get up there. It seems like a lot of people on Earth are fascinated with naming a star after somebody. What would you do? Would you engrave your initials or something into the moon? Would you leave a piece of yourself up there? You know, no, I don't think I would do that because – I want to preserve it for the next people that get to see it. Um, one thing that I would want to do is if I was able to go to the moon, I would want to see Neil Armstrong's footprints for myself. I think that would be amazing. But no, I don't, I don't think I would put my initials up there or leave any part of myself because I just want to be a, a part of the bigger experience. You know, it's not really about me per se. I feel like for me, though, I'd probably take like a piece of the moon back with me. I wonder if that's probably not legal. Oh, yeah, I'd probably take a little take a little moon rock for sure, but I don't think I'd leave anything. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'd probably be breaking some rules with NASA. I don't think they'd let me go up into outer space. They're like, you ate all our meat packets. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Where's the bathroom on the space station, please? <laughs> So when it comes to the suits, though, you've actually put the suits on? Um, I haven't. I've only been able to wear a flight suit. 
So when it comes to that, one thing that I am working towards is being able to go to Project Possum, which is pretty much the closest that you can get to experiencing astronaut training without going through it yourself. It's run out of Embry-Riddle in Florida, and it is a basically a certification. You'd be a citizen astronaut once you completed it. And I think there I'll get to put on a spacesuit finally. I feel like with the way we're progressing so far and just just space travel in general, what do you think would be the estimation that you would say for people like average everyday civilians to be able to travel into outer space, like kind of like a like like a school trip, kind of like a field trip. A field trip, I would I would say probably forty years. Um, I really that that close. Yes, I would say that close. I mean, even for space tourism, for like very rich people, I would say it's coming in like the next fifteen years. Now, would you say that's just because the way we're progressing so fast, or just how people are going to want to be wanting to get up there more? I guess it seems like we're dealing with this giant rise nowadays with space culture in general. It seems like everybody's now fascinated with just going up and traveling somewhere else. You know, most people want to travel to Hawaii. Uh Me, I'm okay with traveling right down the street, but it seems like a lot of people are now fascinated with just wanting to venture into space and seeing else what's else out there. I think that's a lot of influence from movies as well. Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's all the three things that you just said. Like, we're progressing so fast. There's a huge interest in it. And we're just going to have the capability. I think that's going to be even greater, the interest around it, once we are doing Artemis. And we're getting, you know, daily updates from the moon. And especially nowadays, back in Apollo, where it was, oh, here, I'm handing out my newspaper. You know, it's going to be instant on Twitter, social media, everywhere. So I think it's going to really peak an interest in the next generation. And so I think that people are going to want it. And, you know, people like Elon Musk are going to see a business opportunity. So they're going to provide it. I can already see it now. Aiden, on your Instagram, you're going to be having selfies in outer space. That's definitely true. For sure. Yeah, That'd be the first thing I would do when I get into outer space. I'm like, look, hey, guess what I'm doing? I'm on the moon right now. Yeah, that would probably be me too. (laughs) So what exactly is Artemis? I'm not too familiar with this. Um, So Artemis is the new project that they have announced with uh, NASA, and NASA is going to take the first woman to the moon. So it's going to be a pretty big event in our history. And we're going back to the moon, and from my understanding, it's going to be kind of more of a permanent thing, because we really want to use the moon as kind of a jumping off point, because it's a little bit closer than we are to, you know, interstellar space. So I think they're going to start trying to I don't want to say colonize I think it'd be more like Antarctica where there'd be only a few scientists there but getting we'll people build up a station there, there. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main goal for the future yeah we've had thoughts I think in um, our government for a while now about colonization of the moon but it seems like it never went into effect just because a lot of other things arise such as like we had some problems down here on earth we had to take care of we had something occur that kind of seemed to delay our plans but it seems like we're at a point now where we could probably use that as a primary thing of focus and if we're using anything towards research or anything towards understanding space a little bit more it seems like if we started putting a lot of our stuff onto the moon and transporting a lot of materials, resources, and things to do more research and build a facility there. If we're going to do a space launch, instead of using it from Earth, it would be a lot more, I guess, easier if we could just launch them straight from the moon. Exactly. So I think that's part of this project that we're trying to accomplish. Because it, from you know, launching from Earth and launching from the moon and then terraforming Mars and then launching out of Mars. That's kind of the game plan, I think. I, I can already tell you, if me and you went into outer space and we're dancing up in outer space, I'm playing Michael Jackson's Thriller for sure. You know what? I'm here for it. <laughs> we literally get to moonwalk on the moon. Like, I, I, mean, I wonder if any astronauts have done that. They probably have, but I feel like that's still something people are like, why would you do that? Like, why not? And then you just start floating out into space like, what's up? Oh, no. 
You know, I, we haven't been to the moon since the 70s, though. I don't even know if moonwalking was around back then. Wait, we haven't been to the moon since the 70s? The first person to moonwalk on the moon. Why haven't no. we done it since? Since no. we've not been out of space so much. Are we just lost interest in the moon? I don't think it's a lost interest. It's just, you know, we've been there, done that kind of thing. What? Are you kidding me? There's so much <laughs> left to discover on the moon. I just, when I saw I Terminators and they had the whole term, Terminator robots on the moon, on the dark side of the moon, I was like, did anybody check over there? <laughs> Nobody checked over there. Did anybody look under that rock? Nobody look under that rock? I'm going to go look under that rock. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that happened, so we should probably go back and check it out. I feel like if you're going to, like, I had no idea that we haven't been on the moon since that long. I thought we've, since we've been going to outer space, there's just been people that have been, like, stopping by, pulling a little bit, like, research fragments, and then going back up into the space station. I had no idea. We literally haven't touched ground on it yet. Yeah, no, not since the 70s. We've only been up in, you know, Skylab and International Space Station. We've really just been there. We haven't really left Earth's orbit in a while. Not any people, anyway. We've been sending robots. If you could change one thing about our space program, what would it be? It would be funding for the space program. Um, you would try and funnel more money into research for instead of doing other things, such as like military and stuff. Yeah. So interesting fact, all of the money that NASA's ever received doesn't equal one year's worth of military spending. Wow. So I think maybe we could take a small fraction of that and funnel it into our space program. Yeah, I thought that was going to happen when Donald Trump literally made another branch of the military, the space program. You know, one would think, but not so far. He has been giving more money to them, though, a little bit more than previous. But I, de I definitely think we need to start spending more time into research and spending less time into showing like off our guns or something. I feel like there's a lot more to knowledge when it comes to the greater power of things, too. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, it's important to protect our country and have good national security. And it's important to have a good military. But I think that some of those funds could probably be allocated better. I know um, we talked about before about the astronauts that didn't weren't able to make it in pursuit of, um, you know, space exploration, whether like something happened on the launch pad or something happened on their travel up into outer space. Did you know in 1971, I think it was, or sometime around in the 1970s, uh, the United States, they actually put a memorial on the moon for all the people that died in pursuit of it, like just being able to go into outer space. Oh, wow. They did it for the Russians, too, so apparently yeah. there's a memorial. I've never seen it. because All I can see is through what I see in my telescope. So if there is a memorial out there, they apparently write the names of American astronauts, Russian astronauts, whoever is in pursuit of the moon that goes on that little memorial. Oh, wow. That's amazing. No, I didn't know about that. See, I think something like that really brings into the whole where our funds should be placed in research, because it seems like where we want to put it all towards the military, we have this intensive need inside of us to care about everybody, no matter what race you're from. You know what I mean? Just the mm -hmm. idea of what else is out there and all of us coming together to explore that. Exactly. It's about coming together as a human race and learning. And that's what's so beautiful about it because there's no need for, you know, boundaries with different countries or anything like that. You know, we're all together trying to learn. And I think that is what makes space exploration so beautiful. Well, Aiden, I really appreciate you doing my podcast too. I know you weren't expecting it at all, but... <laughs> I really appreciate you coming out and taking the time to have a conversation and especially talk about space. Like what's, what's more to talk about than space? Neil deGrasse Tyson probably does it best. Oh yeah. He's amazing. But no, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was so much fun. Now, if you had to say one thing to anybody out there that's listening that might want to pursue the career of being an astronaut, what would you say? I would say to go for it. Don't give up. You know, there's so many resources out there now. So many people trying to do the same thing you're doing, connect with them. You know, don't feel like you got stuck just because maybe you didn't major in the right thing in college or don't feel like you're too old or too young or anything. 
there's resources and opportunities out there for anybody of any age with any kind of experience that's interested in pursuing this. Well, thank you so much, Aiden, for being on the podcast and stay tuned for another episode of Out of the Blank. Thank you.